Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving at your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. All right, everyone. Welcome to Menas Live, a Menas Live book review. I'm, of course, Menas. Joining me is the author of 12 Summers and good mate of mine, Adam Zwa. Adam, how are you? Good, Menas. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Like all my fucking guests on the show, we're, we're a bit late, but that's all right. Uh, we, we made it live. I hope there's a few people watching. So I've got your book here, 12 Summers by Adam Zwa. Excellent, excellent. And if you notice, I strategically put it in front of a Gideon Hay book so I look intelligent. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> lo- love the book. Love the book. Uh uh, you, know, Thank you, mate. you know, it's it's a beautiful journey through not only your sort of cricket viewing in the eighties, nineties, and early two thousands, but then you know your personal uh, stories. Tell me, what sort of story did you want to tell? I at first I thought it was mainly going to be my personal story um, with a bit of cricket put in, and um, when the publishers read it, like that, you had to deliver it in thirds. And when they read the first third, they go, hey, we really like the uh, the cricket stuff. More of that. That was the only yeah. note that came back to me. And I went, oh, okay. Yeah. And so it eventually became half and a half. And Less then stuff about cancer, I, more about cricket? Was that the, the yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, less stuff about boarding More prostitutes? Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, the viewers are getting a good, a good understanding. So, so what um, – uh, so what what ended up happening is I, I read Fever Pitch many years ago, Nick Hornby's Fever Pitch, which is uh, like a fan's look at following Arsenal over a lifetime. And I and suddenly that sanctioned for me what I could do with cricket. I went, oh, well, these feelings that I'm having and, and this emotional response that I have to the game uh, is actually is a genre in itself. And... Um, and so it's a different genre to Gideon Haig or it's different to, to Peter Lawler or any of those cricket writers or D- Daniel Bredick. It, it, it's, it's a more of an emotional kind of look at the game as opposed to a, a dry kind of, um, uh, kind of, you know, expert view of the game, even though... Yeah, it's, you know, not, it's not like analysis. It's more like your experiences as, mm. as a fan going through it. Yes. Uh, uh, so, look... For those of you who are listening or watching who don't know who Adam is, accomplished writer, uh, yeah, you know, former journo, um, but, you know, you've, you've done some stuff in cricket before. Uh, what, you've directed mm. a couple of documentaries. What were they called? So uh, Yeah, I produced uh, Underarm, uh, 
uh, which is the, the, the uh, was on Channel 7 uh, and Another TV comedy. 1 in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, last year. Um, and um, before that was Bodyline, which was uh, a kind of a Mythbusters almost look at, at Bodyline. And, and we we were able to get some side-on footage of Lyle Wood at, in the Adelaide test, just one over of it from the National Film Archive. And we're able to get it, get, we're able to kind of do a 3D uh, model of the actual ground. And so the, so the camera was a little bit, so the camera was probably um, a little bit squarer than mid-off. And so they were able to actually move the camera via 3D modeling to, so it's actually adjacent to the pitch. And so then they were able to measure Larwood's uh, pace. And just that one over, he was bowling 147. And that was, and we're talking about a guy who's 5'7", five, 5'8", five, and he just had these extraordinarily long arms. So we just picked out one over. I mean, I'm sure he bowled faster than that, you know, during the during that Ashes series in 32-33. So that was a really interesting thing. And that, that culminated in me facing Brett Lee without a helmet at the end. <coughs> fascinating. Um, fascinating that you got that speed almost 150 that's terror terrorizing Can you imagine the aussie batters back yeah. in those days no protection um larwood bowling bounces like sticky so, wickets you know it was yeah yeah one thing that you know struck me through throughout your book so you've got a cricket pedigree for those listening he's also a big fan of cricket unfiltered adam so i had to get him on the show when he wrote a cricket yeah. book um so, you know, one thing I did sort of glean from the book is, you know, everybody thinks their life is unique, but actually yes. mine's not that unique. Like a lot of your experiences watching cricket and your emotions are, you know, very similar to mine and my reactions. Yeah, 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 yeah. Look, that, that's that, that's great because that, that you're the people I'm writing for, you know. It's um, it, it, our generation kind of grew up I mean I don't know what your first memory of cricket was man is what was your first uh what can you remember about international cricket what can you remember first well what I can tell you exactly what I remember first so it was the 88 89 summer in Australia where uh, we got spanked by the Windies but I timed my run perfectly because that was when I got into cricket and then obviously it leads into the 89 Ashes and then we fucking it's a rocket ship to the moon yeah, from right. there right. for the next 16 yeah, years mate. It was heaven. Whereas, you know, you yeah. started early 80s, so you suffered. Yeah. You suffered, Adam. Yeah. yeah, can you imagine it? So, I mean, I came in in that first little bit and, and Chapel was still captain and you still had Lillian Marsh. And um, and then we saw Hughes just, you know, step in a little bit. And that was watching that unfold, that whole drama was tragic. And anyone who's read Golden Boy knows just how kind of deep uh, that drama went. I mean, it probably Golden Boy is probably one of the great cricket books uh, that I've ever read. And it's talk, you know, if you want to, if you want to actually see the definition of mental disintegration, possibly read that. Um, and Kim Hughes was the first guy, <laughs> first man I ever saw cry. Um, so then the disintegration of of Hughes, then Border takes over, then South Africa Rebel tour. So the team's decimated. It's literally like a second or even perhaps even a third 11 you're kind of dealing with now. And they're just coming around getting flogged. And it wasn't like um, – and they were dropping so many catches. You're just, just dropping catches all the time. And then Simpson comes in and he goes, well, the first thing I can do, I can't actually teach you to be like world-class cricketers, but I can teach you the field. And so – he taught them the field really well. And by 87 World Cup, it was like uh, the, they were the best fielding team in the world, um, even though they weren't that probably batting and bowling, probably weren't up there at all. And in fact, they were like 16s to actually win the World Cup. And that was, that was like a long shot. Um, and and that, have you lost me, mate? No, I can hear you. Why? Am I frozen? Usual technical dramas oh you got me back yeah yeah, yeah. i got you i heard the whole thing i was just so still yeah right well, I was frozen. yeah yeah, yeah. I, I, you, just, no, you just blacked out um but yeah 89 so by the time that, that came, was my brain just blacked out when you talked about mid 80s i just blacked out on purpose i just i just <laughs> kind of, 
So, you know, you come into the, you start supporting Australia in the underarm summer, but, you know, what I loved about the book, we'll get into some details, but I'm a stickler for cricket facts and cricket knowledge. And, and honestly, and I, I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass, and I know Stephen Vag, one of our friends, has helped this. The research, the cricket research is impeccable. Obviously, I can't validate all the, the stories you made up about your personal life, but um, the, 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 <laughs> The, the cricket stuff, the minute detail, you brought together so many different sources to tell the cricket story. You know, you've kept it contemporary at the time, but then you've you've gone and, and found stuff to now where stuff sort of come out and, you know, you've added that colour into retelling the story. So, you know, the cricket writing is exceptional, you know. You, I know it, oh, it, it just you, it's bloody phenomenal. Um so, you know, I think if you are a cricket fan, especially, you know, you listen to this podcast and you're a bit younger and you didn't go through it, I think it's a brilliantly captivating, um, you know, retelling of that period and it just flows. I don't know, it's sort of like a Bill Bryson book. You just can't stop reading. And I, and oh, I don't even like nice. reading. Yeah, I just yeah. listen to podcasts. <laughs> there, well, there's an audio book too. Uh, there's versions there. You can just kind of hang out and listen to that. But, I, I yeah, so Stephen... Uh, Vag I went to school with and um, he's obviously a friend of the podcast and um, he uh, he's a he's a cricket nerd and he I I said can you just um, okay I paid him some money and I said just just write down some of your memories from that period you know and he didn't he 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 sent me a bunch of clippings and things like that and it kind of just got me thinking I just needed that little bit of what you know what meant something to him um, that wasn't related to the Queensland Sheffield Shield team, which is <laughs> which is a miracle, knowing Steve. But then, um, then I uh, so I wrote the book, and then I um, paid some money to a guy called Laurie Colliver, if, if you if you know him very well. Um, I buy his Cricket Digest every year. He is a gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he he was great for me because he like. Um, you know, he would like. I, I actually called it, you know, the Adelaide Oval a couple of times. He goes, "Mate, Adelaide Oval." No one calls it the Adelaide Oval. Um, and I might have even said rules of cricket once. He goes, "Laws of cricket, buddy. Laws of cricket." <laughs> you know, so it was just a, he was good, and and then he like he would debate just certain moments because he scores every game. He's an absolute nuff, nuff, nuff. Yeah. And I, I, you know, love that. Absolutely. Uh, and I love the the way you brought to life um, the figures of the time, especially Alan Border, Dean Jones, the War Brothers, all those guys, Michael Slater, those real stars of the period. You know, they, you know, you encapsulate how they loomed over, you know, our lives as fans and as the Australian yeah. public, they were they were so central to the Australian discourse right throughout those periods. You, you bring them to life. And then I love how you sort of sprinkle in your personal interactions with them in later years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was, it was very interesting. But people have remarked on that, you know, just as a fan, how I suddenly kind of came face-to-face with Border a few times and how I can, you know... Uh, I, I guess who else? Oh, Michael Holding and people like that. Um, yeah, so like I just made myself, I mean, you're the same man. You know, you just kind of, you're a fan, you're around them and eventually your paths cross. And with Border, I was just a kid and um, he came up to Cairns to run a coaching clinic and dad said, oh, do you want to go and have a look? It was only for the elite cricketers. So it was Jimmy Maher, I remember the only guy I, I knew who was, who was there and I used to be in Jimmy's side and and I think I say in the book that he and I used to open the batting together, and at lunch he'd be on a hundred and I'd be on three, or or crying on crying underneath a tree because I got out. Um, <laughs> yeah, and that Jimmy was also the person that uh, made it very apparent that I had no no future playing international cricket or any any sort of uh, representative cricket. It was just like when you kind of just see greatness at the other end, you you, you really kind of realise where you're at, like you know. No, I don't see the ball as early as Jimmy. No, my technique's not as good as Jimmy. And kind of Jimmy was not belittling of me. He was just like kind of perplexed that I couldn't do what he could do. Yeah, I, I had Sorry, a similar moment. No, no, it's all right. I'm used to the delay in this stream. Uh, so, look, 
it's like when I faced Brett Lee, you said you had to face him with a helmet off. I rocked up to training at Grey Cricket once and Brett Lee was um, warm, you know, bowling. And that was the moment I was like, I came out of that net session thinking, I just cannot imagine getting on the front foot and hitting this guy past him. <laughs> you know, like I, I could, yeah. you know, I could barely survive. So yeah, I, 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 I empathize with that feeling. What year was that? So that was mid nineties. He was about 18. Actually, it was a great, I turned up to grey cricket because I was keen and it was Jeff Thompson and Brett Lee bowling to me. Now that's a fucking fearsome duo. Are you kidding me? No. Jeff Thompson off about What was Tomo doing, doing there? I think he was there to work with Binger. And uh, it was really interesting because you, everyone talks about Tomo's action, how you can't see the ball. And he was coming off five steps and bowling, what, 120 probably. And I still couldn't yeah. see the ball because it just comes out of nowhere. Um, yeah, that's right. That's right. That slinging action means you, you, you're not seeing it until much later. Yeah, true. But I like, no. you know, your interactions. You know, you talk about them ones when you're kids and then you obviously mm -hmm. working on these documentaries, you've, you've got to then work with them as a, on a professional level. And I really enjoyed mm -hmm. that, that, that sort of um, window into that, you know, and I guess, again, I had similar kind of experiences uh, being around the Australian team in the 90s uh, through a friend and then, you know, interviewing a lot of our heroes. Um, it, yes. It's a very unique yep. experience because I don't know about you, but there's something different when you come across a childhood hero. You, you could interview Pat mm. Cummins tomorrow, but but if it, was, mm. if it was someone you looked up to as a kid, you must have, those moments must be moments you treasure. Yeah, well, I interviewed Greg Chappell last week, and that was a, a big thing for me. Um, yeah, I've it, it really, it really I've is. I've already interviewed him, Adam. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, he actually, the only thing he didn't want to talk about was the underarm. He said, I'll answer any question you want, but I'm sick of talking about underarm. Yeah, he only, he only talks about underarm for money these days. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But yeah, he, yeah, well, I think we paid him. Uh, we had to pay everyone on uh, the underarm documentary. Um, and uh, it would have been hard for him not to it. talk about underarm on that documentary. Would have been a no, bit strange. No, that's right. He went on to the underarm. Anything but underarm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. It, it, it's an interesting thing. I, I've got a, a theory about cricketers because the I've hung around a lot with actors and stand-up comics in my life, and I think there's something similar there. There's something that's very solo. They're superstitious. They believe in magical thinking. Um, even though they're part of a team, it's very individualistic pursuit. Um, so, and there's that that anxiety that's there too, you know. So, um, I think that we're that we're related in that way. Mm. Yeah, great experience. Um, so, yeah, I've got a few um, notes from the book. Let's go right back. Let's go right back. Yeah. So, it starts with a lot about fatherhood. And Desmond's reached out to me, and he said he doesn't like the book. Bad news. Uh, no, I bet he doesn't. No. So bad luck. Um, but, you know, he, he, your dad's got a fascinating story. He wrote, what, a book on um, Hess? What's Rudolf Hess? Yeah, yeah. He Rudolf Hess was in Spandau. Rudolf Hess, who was Hitler's deputy, was uh, in Spandau prison in Germany at the time. And um, it was his massive prison. And it used to contain all the, the Nazis, you know. Um, so it was a you know, horrible place. But in the end... Hess was the uh, only the only one left, and of course Hess had this uh, situation where he disobeyed Hitler's orders and and flew to Germany, flew to, from Germany to England to allegedly try and uh, end the war. But uh, Churchill took no sympathy on him and you know threw him at, in the Tower of London, and um, eventually found his way way to Spandau Prison, and he, you know where he's the only prisoner there, and and so Dad was able to um, interview him. And uh, and smuggle uh, smuggle questions into him and a tape recorder, and then Hess would speak into the tape recorder, and then the, the, uh, the then the tape would come out, and Dad would transcribe it, and that was how he write the book. That's how he wrote the book. And I don't know if anyone remembers the movie Wild Geese too, but that was uh, based on Dad's book. And so he, he wrote about Hess, and then he wrote about Peter Thompson, the five-time British Open winner. He went around the world uh, with Peter Thompson and. And this is an interesting thing because, you know, ordinary club cricketers will understand this, that um, when he was 
on the circuit, you know, Arnold Palmer, uh, Nicholas, Gary Player, Lee Trevino, they would always, um, so Des, give us a look at your swing. And they would, you know, hit a few balls in front of them and they'd say, do this, do that. So at the end of, at the start of uh, the tour, Dave was playing off 14. By the end, he was playing off 21. And the reason for that is that elite sportsmen don't know how to actually coach. Generally speaking, they don't know how to coach just normal people. You know, there's something, there's a huge chasm between us. And um, as I found with Jimmy Ma and, and myself, it's just like, well, I'm sure that I can write better than Jimmy Ma, but uh, I can't, um, yeah, I just can't see the ball as early as he can. Um, so D- Dad was good to me, though. He would always bolt, you know, always give me throwdowns in the backyard and everything. He's a natural leg spinner. Fantastic. And obviously a massive inspiration then for you, um, yeah. you know, studying journalism and then being a writer. Yeah. Yeah, he was introduced me to comedy too. So he introduced me to all the Barry Humphreys records and the Bob Newhart records and this comedian called Shelley Berman, who was actually I was a big fan of. And if people don't know that name, they remember Curb Your Enthusiasm. He played Larry David's father in that. And um, so Shelley Berman was was a great inspiration as well. So um, comedy and cricket were my two because I was an anxious child. Comedy and cricket were my two kind of life rafts. Um, and, uh, it, without them got, without them, I would have been in a, all sorts of strife, I reckon. Mental there health so wise. Many, yeah. Well, I mean, no comment. Um, there's so many strands to this book, you know, so many, you know, away from cricket. So you talk about sort of your childhood. I mean, you know, you went to boarding school and you sort of go through the wanking police and the, the child abuse, and <laughs> the bullies, the bullies. Um, you know, at the boarding school, uh, I mean, such a great window into that period of of the eighties. I mean, I obviously went to a similar oh, yeah. style school. I wasn't a boarder, and there was no wanking police. Yeah. Thank goodness. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> you know. So that's sort of beautiful uh, telling of that, and then you know, moving into uh, you know your studies post school and your sort of first bits of journalism and. Um, I heard you on Jared Whiteley's radio show, and he, you said you started with him at the Herald Sun, but that's impossible because Jared Whiteley's 65. So how did that happen? I know, mate. He was 65 then. Um, you know, I'm two years older than, than him apparently, and uh, <laughs> and when I – like, there was just no doubt that he was the adult in our friendship, you know. He was the mm. one that got the interview with Steven Spielberg. He was the – you know, he got all the kind of, like, the fancy interviews because he wasn't he wasn't a sport that's a cat by the way uh, he wasn't a sports guy um unless you've got a tail then. i mean yeah yeah um he he was it only i knew he was interested in horse racing but uh and then this kind of deep knowledge of afl football revealed itself slowly and surely and he just kind Disgusting. of the game needed him yeah oh by the way i'm a like the, the only the only people I'm more kind of starstruck by than cricketers are commentators. And I wanted to be a commentator when I was a child. And now you, you're living my dream. So are you a bit nervous with the, about this chat? Because I do grey mm. cricket on a Sunday afternoon. No, you do, Shield. And also, <laughs> are you are you ball by ball? Yeah, ball by ball. But I can do expert as well, so... You, so did you practice that? How did you? How did you? Uh, how did you come upon that? And how did you actually get yourself like match fit? Well, it's a really good question. What I did was I just walked into the commentary box for the first time and just started commentating on a shield match. Yeah, because and I've you just knew to, what to do. Yeah, I've listened to cricket for you know my whole life. It, it was it was very natural. Um, but yeah, the first time I ever commentated wow. was a shield match. Just. Uh, and I love it. Um, so, yeah, I, I get nervous around commentators as well. Um, but, yeah, especially <laughs> when we were kids, like the ones when we were kids, those those stars, you know. I was never oh, more nervous yeah. than when I called Ian Chappell to interview him for the podcast. I was just petrified. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like that was he good? He was great. He was excellent. But I just knew if I asked him a bloody stupid question, he'd tell me. So I was like, most people are polite, but you'd know he will not take any shit. 
No, that's right. He'll tell you if he doesn't like you. You know, I mean, I want to do a, a quiz show where you essentially you start a, an Ian Chapel story and the contestants have to finish it. <laughs> you know, because we've all heard all these stories, you know. Um. Uh, well, look, I've got a few notes. So firstly, we've talked on this podcast a lot about the sort of the pain of the way television was, um, the way cricket was televised in the 80s. And, you know, reading your account of the 1987 World Cup final with, you know, you could really feel the bitterness in your writing that a World Cup final would not be shown. Instead, they would show a Sunday night movie. Um, I yeah. could still feel the bitterness 30 years later. I lost him. Just lost um, you there, Menes. That last bit. I was wasn't in, wasn't interesting. Um, we didn't need to relive the nineteen ninety two World Cup. Uh, I think we could have just left uh, that where it was. No. You and Ian Healy. You and Ian yeah. Healy. Uh, Healy didn't even keep his shirt, and he kept every shirt from every tournament he was ever in except that one. <laughs> Not surprised. That was a shocker. I really enjoyed the <laughs> retelling of um, Border's retirement. Because that was, I remember staying up all night and watching his final innings in South Africa, and I'm sure you oh, yeah. must have had a very strong yeah. emotional response to that. Well, I was just desperate for him to keep his average over fifty. So I was like, just like going, "What a, you know, I, I, by 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 South Africa." I think I, he would have to have really bombed out in that series to, to, to uh, be below fifty. But I was quietly confident by then that. That would that would uh, maintain that. I don't know why. I mean, Border doesn't give a shit about me. I mean, I don't know why. I'm just like <laughs> totally just obsessed that he maintained an average over fifty. It was just it was so important to me. But you know, there was this. So he, I could describe him as the Churchill of Australian cricket. He came to the fore when the country needed him most, and and he was there forever. And I, everyone was nervous about him leaving because. We didn't, the last time we didn't have border, you know, what were we going to do without border? I mean, he was the linchpin. Um, and of course, you know, I, I think Taylor was really good and really solid and, and, and it worked out, all worked out well. But uh, you didn't know. You didn't know whether we were going to fall off a cliff. Yeah, absolutely. And I loved your little uh, story about uh, meeting him and making him feel very uncomfortable. Uh, so I'll I'll leave it for those who want to read the book, but uh, that's yeah, very strange. Sure, sure. I've met I've met Border the few times. He's the nicest guy, so you must have been bloody weird to freak him out. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, you know me. Yeah, definitely. Um, um, talking about <laughs> Dean Jones, I mean, he's such a central figure in so many parts of this book. He was, you know, pe- pe- mm. he was such a star, and then you know, you really can feel. The, the the pain of the injustice of his dropping and I think it still flows yeah. on now. Well, you, you kind of because there's not a solid reason for it. You know, you can't say there was a, he was out of form. Like I think two tests before that, he was scoring a, he scored a century before he got replaced by uh, Damien Martin. I I think at the time, um, the Slaters were obviously just desperate to get Martin in the team one way or another because he was a boy wonder because that that technique was unparalleled. Um, and uh, and but it, it, you know, my and of feeling course, is it's more a personal issue. Yeah, yeah, you, but you don't. No one will give you a straight answer, really. Have you got a straight answer? Have you got anything particular? Not that, I'm, you, willing, not any that, I'm, not that I'm willing to broadcast, Adam. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, no, it, it was. Okay, well, this is a fan's view of of cricket, and as mm. a fan, I did not know what was going on, and I, um, and I read everything. So the fact that I don't know what was going on means that only the people in the inn knew. So for me, it was just a complete injustice. And as Tim, as uh, as um, Tim Lane said, uh, there's never statistically it was the most confounding decision in the history of Australian cricket because he was doing so well um, and then dropped and then dropped from the one-day side, you know, a few months later. Uh, and then, but they wanted him to stay on, but he went, no, if you, uh, if you're going to drop me, are you, are you, he said to Mark Taylor, uh, are you seriously saying that you're a better one-day player than me? 
Um, and because uh, I'm out, this is ridiculous. And then, of course, when the Australia A concert came up, he said, well, you know, I'm the obvious person. He scored a, a triple century in Shield that summer, and he said, well, I'm the obvious person to captain this side. And um, the Australians selected and said, no, no, you know, you're too old. Of course, Merv Hughes got selected, and they're exactly the same age. So, so many. You poor old Jonesy. Um, like, I just surmised at the end that they just didn't like the cut of his jib. Mm. Um, and also, he was... You know, this was a time when Australian cricket didn't like people who looked like they liked themselves too much. And Jones would have the, you know, have the zinc on the lips. He was the first person to wear sunglasses. He slid into the boundary boundary ropes. He did all these things that when and now everyone goes, oh, that's just you know normal behaviour. But if you turned up in sunglasses to play a test match in the eighties, then you thought everyone thought you're up yourself. Um, mm. which is bizarre because you're actually protecting your eyes. It's um, you're not trying to look cool. Um, maybe Jones, you had a, a slight eye on that, but you know, it's actually protects your eyes. So it was um, well, history has uh, proven him yeah. right. Every, everyone wears sunglasses. It, it's <laughs> proven 100%, mate. 100%. Yeah, but I, I just think you really sort of um, you know, express the feelings of the fans about his dropping. And it's certainly, it's one of those things that hasn't gone away and his untimely death has certainly um, maybe amplified mm. it a bit, the injustice. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and then... And from a Victorian uh, point of view, uh, Victorians yeah. always still persecuted, by the way. <laughs> they still are. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, sort of interspersed, you know, so... Oh, you know, talk about the wanking police and then your early days as a journo, but then, you know, the intensely personal moments where you, you know, hear about your mum's cancer diagnosis for the first time yeah. as you're about to go off and embark on a, on a new career. And I've got to say, you yeah. tug on the heartstrings a bit there, Adam. What was it like for you having to go back through those moments in your life? Yeah, uh, for me, people... People say, oh, it must have been painful for you. But no, I found it therapeutic um, to go back there and, and just get it out. Um, and uh, so, yeah, my my mum passing away, like, in 2001 was one of those, you know, um, big things. Cause she, she never got to see me do anything of note, really. And she was my biggest supporter. And so without her, the thing was, she was everyone's, biggest supporter and you know she had no interest in cricket but she used to sit and watch the cricket with me and she you know and uh she used to make jokes she she make would make jokes about brett lee she goes it's almost people like almost say that the his name as one word brett lee brett lee, <laughs> brett lee. <laughs> she goes brett lee yeah yeah so she she made, used to make jokes about that and i you know i you know i think she it, it's interesting that that was the kind of person she she was. Okay, you're interested in cricket. Well, now I'm going to get interested in cricket as well. And so she was very important to me. And when she passed, uh, that left a huge hole in my life. And um, yeah, so I, it was important to, that I write write about those moments because they meant like someone's complaint. So there was one reviewer said, "Oh, you know, I love all the cricket stuff, but why do you have to write about boarding school and his mum dying?" And I go, well, I thought, well, there's no point in me writing the book if I'm not going to write that because they're you know important moments in my life. Yeah, and I think I mean the, the the beautiful thing for a reader is that it it mirrors so much of what you know we were experiencing. That you know, like yeah. you, with fans of the Australian cricket team, and going around it is you know these personal things, and you signpost them yeah. with moments in the cricket field. Bizarrely, you know, you you know, I I remember when Matty Hayden scored three eighty. Um, my wife set our fire on kitchen, uh, our kitchen on fire. And, and and I was sitting in the other room watching Hayden motor towards the world record. And I said to my wife, I can smell smoke. And she said, no, there's no smoke. And then an hour later, the fire brand were there because the kitchen was on fire. Um, and you know, I always remember, you know, that's the day 380 was scored. And then, you know, the day oh, my right. daughter came home from hospital, the day was oh. the, the magic um, – for 30 um game in south africa that australia lost and i was you know wa yeah, watching yeah, yeah. Up all, i was up all night you know making sure my baby doesn't suffocate to death because that's what a new parent's biggest fear is and at the same yeah, time yeah. watching 
you know, Australia and South Africa playing the most um, epic one day game. So, you know, I think those experiences yeah. you have that oh, yeah. sort of run along with the quick cricket are important. Yeah, that, that's that's great that you say that and you put it in those terms because you know, you know, as I say, I, I knew everything's marked in your life. But you, you know, a lot of people go, "Oh, I don't remember decades. Well, I don't remember two thousand. What happened in nineteen ninety nine? Well, we remember what happened in ninety nine because we're cricket fans. We remember mm. the West Indies tour and War versus Warren, and you know, Warren being dropped, and um, then we remember the ninety nine World Cup, which is the greatest. Perhaps you know contain two of the greatest one day matches in the history of cricket. So you know if it's all, or two thousand and five. Who doesn't remember two thousand? Like cricket fan doesn't remember two thousand and five. Um, so it's um, yeah. It, it, so I think being a cricket fan has helped us through life because it's given us signposts. Mm, definitely. Uh, I, and then there's other great things, you know, like you interviewing rock stars, you're interviewing Sting, driving sex workers around. I mean, you've led a colourful life, Adam. Yeah, yeah. I've tried a lot of things in my life. Um, mm. I've Like, I think it's the, I think part of being a writer is you're always fascinated by what's behind the curtain. And, you know, I mean, I I could have got a job uh, as a bartender or washing dishes or something when I moved to Melbourne. I didn't have any money. In it. And uh, I lived with a woman who was a stripper. We were just friends. And she said, are you going to Melbourne? Well, here's the, the name of the company that I work for. They're a stripping agency. And they sometimes require drivers to drive them around to the different gigs that they go to. So I rang them up and that really needed money. And I got a job at the Herald Sun, but they weren't paying for another month. So I uh, rang them up and I said, We'd, all the, the drivers, uh, we're, we're good for drivers to drive strippers, but we, we need some drivers to drive escorts. And so I became an escort driver, a driver of escorts and uh, around Melbourne. And, you know, I could have, as I said, I could have been washing dishes and it would have been, I would have just earned the same amount of money, but I was fascinated in this life. But <laughs> what if a dude who drives escorts do? And it turns out it's pretty dangerous work, you know, because if they don't come out at the right time, you've got to go in and get them. And of course, I'm not a fighter. Um, so I had to negotiate my way, you know, to, to get them to release the woman. Um, so yeah, it was uh, interesting and, and tough. And I always wondered why I did it. But now I know it. If I could write a book about it. Yeah, definitely. And there's so much great stuff in there outside the cricket. Um, you, you know, you mentioned the 99 tour of the West Indies and then the 99 World Cup and, you again, you bring that mm. to life. And it's amazing how that 99 Windies tour still bubbled away now. And uh, I know. I know. Yeah. And the 99 World Cup, obviously, I, uh, I mean, listeners to this show will know that I was at – well, it's good if he's not hearing me. Uh, I was at the – or the World Cup in England. So I was at that oh 120 not out. I was at the semi-final. So obviously they oh. they um, loom large in my life. And um, you, you were know, at you, the semi-final. In, yes. You know, yes. wow. No, and, got, so where you? and then two weeks ago I interviewed Steve Waugh about it. So happy days. Oh, mate. Um, yeah, I remember that. I, I saw the photo of you, you, and, you and the great me, man, like, you and the Iceman. Me man. like sucking on his neck. Um the, the, <laughs> the boldest, you call it the boldest one-day innings in history, Steve Waugh's 120 not out, and it was exceptional. Yeah. Uh, and, again, you just, you know, you bring that tournament, that 99 World Cup uh, to life. I said I was there and you really encapsulate it. And, and then uh, so love that retelling of it and, and love actually the way you, you describe Steve Waugh as when Steve Waugh batted, I felt I wasn't getting a lesson in cricket, but a lesson in life. I mean, yeah. that right there yeah. is gold. I mean, I think that's the best sentence in your book. Oh, thanks, mate. Yeah, because it was. It was a because sometimes we approach life like we're ducking and weaving, and we're trying just trying not to get. You know, we're, we're trying not to. You know. Uh, get hit by the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. Um, mm -hmm. But so that was a time where a normal person would have gone in, Australia's backs were to the wall, a normal cricketer would have gone in and gone, I'm just going to see out a couple of overs and just see, get, get my eye in and just 
taking the taking the situation, and hopefully we'll, we'll just see what happens. But war coming out, strangers back to the wall. Who are, the, the bowlers are the only are the only, only batters left, um, and he just attacked them right from the the get go. And he said to Cronier, "I'm taking you down today." And you know to see him, I don't know what he I didn't know what he was saying because I was just watching it on television. But I've I've since found out that he said, oh, "I'm taking you down today." And of course, it was the the famous um, "You dropped the World Cup" uh, apocryphal line, but um, it was. I just saw him chatting to Cronier, and he was, you know, that aggressive Steve War Alpha stance. And I was thinking, I think he's sledging Cronier, and it was unusual for me to see a batter sledge a bowler in those days. You know, um, normally they they'll, they'll chat back, but for, for War to be the aggressor in that situation was quite profound. Yeah, most certainly. Uh, I love that that inning so much, that 120 not out. And uh, Steve Waugh, mm. it's not just, you, you know, you sort of interesting, you know, when I interviewed him, I, I wanted to sort of find out where his broader view came from because 80s, 90s Australia was fairly insular, but he wasn't. He mm. was one that wanted to sort of uh, break out of the norm and, you know, take in foreign countries and actually write his mm. own book. And, and and I think, yeah. you know, I'm sure maybe it's the same for you. Me growing up, I learned a lot from him, not as a cricketer, but those things, that sort of curiosity that he had that actually seemed different to most of the cricketers that at the time. You, you, you see that, you know, one reads about war and his mate Gavin Robertson um, uh, in the previous tour, I think it was, Pakistan, uh, 98. Pakistan, yeah, 98. 98. And, and then what was the previous tour of India? But anyway, they... Mm, uh, so same. Yeah, Pakistan, 98, and then it was... Um, and they, then kind of going out, breaking curfew at the hotel and going out and, and getting a tour guide to show them around and everything. And and it turns out, you know, that I've heard with interviews with Robertson that in many ways he was the instigator, that he kind of was the one that opened Steve War's mind to, to that. And... Steve War actually said at one stage, you know, um, oh, I don't know. And Gavin Robinson said, if we're not doing this, why are we here? You know, mm. let's go and find out about this culture. And um, Steve War actually says in his book, Out of My Comfort Zone, that uh, Robinson's his soulmate. Um, and so, you know, interesting, those two, uh, those two guys doing that at the time. And, of course, if anything is going to open your mind in life, it's India or Pakistan. And that story that Robertson tells of them going to getting in a lift and being lowered right down the, into like way below the earth, the earth surface, and seeing a an albino colony because in the subcontinent albinos are considered um, bad luck, and so they all have to be out of view, and so you know. Now that's something, right? You know, to to get in a lift and go underground and send Albino a colony, and you're just two two boys from, you know, mm, absolutely from, uh, suburban I, Sydney. You know, I, I had Robbo in here a couple of weeks ago. I, I actually turned out just by chance. I interviewed Gavin Robertson one week, and then Steve War the next week. And oh wow, we had this beautiful. Me and Robbo had this amazing like one and a half hour interview. I lost track of time and. I came out of it and I said to the producer, I said, that was just the most amazing interview. And um, if you if, if if you go back actually on this feed, you'll see the Gavin Roberts and then Steve War and, um, yeah, have a listen. But, you know, I think there is certainly oh, well. Rob, Robbo pushed War a little bit. There was that one tour, I think Pakistan, where they were told not to go out and he just said, let's go. Yeah, and yeah. Also, I asked War about that and he said one of the things about getting out was also relieving the pressure. That if you were in your hotel mm. room all the time, you were just thinking about cricket all the time, and mm-hmm. um, you know, getting out and taking your mind off it, um, sort of was wave relieving stress. So, yeah, brilliant stuff. Yeah, I mean, what, what an interesting duo those two were, and what pioneers. And you know, with, with War, we, we, you know, there's so many of his innovations from Gallipoli to to handing out the cap. I mean, how many to the debutant? I mean. 
how many sports across the world now do that? That was War's idea. Mm, absolutely. Um, He's a genius. And, and, yeah. And also, um, you know, it, it, it's a... It's a funny thing as Damien Fleming says about him, you know, there's, yes, he's altruistic, but he's also an amazing, he's a natural marketer. He's like, you know, his marketing brain is, is off the charts. He, he knows how to actually, you know, and he does, and he uses that marketing brain for good. Mm. Um, so no, I'm, I, I won't hear a bad word about uh, S. War. He's got a good, um, He's got a good agent, a good manager, and, um, uh, you know, it took me five years to get him on the show. It's, it's, it's a lesson in persistence. One thing my mum always taught me as a kid was persist. And I every year for five yeah, years yeah. I put in a request for war, and, you know, this year happened to work out that he's got an exhibition in Sydney. So, you know, this podcast fits well. So, you know, he didn't disappoint. Oh, wonderful, wow. wonderful guy. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's good so that, that your mum taught you that. You know, it's good that you, your mum taught you that because it's tough, you know, getting guests on the show and if, you, if they say no once or you get ignored once, then you, it's easy to get you, you easy to get down about it. You know, I, I've got a podcast as well and it's... Um, oh, yeah, you know, 12, what is it called? 12 questions? Tough. We should plug it. What is it called? Oh, it's 10, 10 questions. 10, 10 questions, questions with Adam as well. And 12 summers, 10 questions. Lots of numbers. Yeah, yeah. Got to have numbers in the title. <laughs> Uh, but it's a great show, 10 Questions. You you ask what, um, you know, a sort of standard formula of questions. Yeah, it's kind of uh, loosely based on the uh, the Proust questionnaire, uh, and which uh, Proust in, in those days had this, I think it was 40 questions or something, that um, uh, you ask someone all these questions and you actually get a, the full breadth of their personality. I'm only using 10 because, um, you know, I haven't got all day. <laughs> but um, I find it works as a podcast because it, you get a, a decent biography and people aren't freaked out. You know, some of the celebrities are scared of the questions that you might ask them. Well, they know what questions are going to be asked. Um, so it actually makes them comfortable. Yeah, I love the format. And, and, and what's interesting with that format format is it's not just – the questions but it's also how the guest interacts with the questions in the format uh it's really interesting so great Um, stuff yeah thanks mate yeah we had my first cricketer on there was scg mcgill um many many moons ago um and that's that's uh, actually how that's how in this funny bloody world how he was on cricket unfiltered because you had him on your show then he was a big fan of our friend pat brammel and then I yes. reached out to McGilla and said, look, I'm a mate of Pat's. Why don't you come on my podcast? And he said, no problem. And then I submitted that episode to the Australian Podcast Awards, which was then nominated for an award uh, in the finals and then got archived in the National Film and Sound Archive. So there's an interview in the archive of <laughs> me and McGill that started with your interview with him. Oh, mate, that's brilliant. No, I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that because... He, um, I found him such a generous uh, interviewee, and um, you know I know he's he's got troubles now, but he, he he's always seeking you know to better himself, and um, you know he was always always taking it taking account for you know for his you know the the difficulties in his life, but he was it was also po- so positive about Warney, and um, uh, even though you know. For me, there are there are occasions, and I say this in the book, that you know, particularly, um, uh, particularly, uh, I think it was the was the fourth test or fifth test in two thousand and five that I, I remember thinking, well, the the, the test they took uh, Sean Tate in, um, I remember thinking McGill should have played that test, but I got a funny feeling that it was very clear by that stage that Warney didn't want a, a, a second leg spinner. Yeah, that's the feeling um, I got as well. That fifth yeah. test of the Oval, McGill really wanted to play that's when right. they needed to win. Yeah, yeah, and it was a turner, wasn't it? You know. Mm. Yeah, well, so, history could be different. Yeah, yeah. history could know, be dead mate. now. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, Adam, congratulations on twelve summers. It's a great Thanks book. Go out, 
if you're listening or watching, go out and buy. You won't be disappointed. Um, ups and downs, personal and on the cricket field. I could talk about it with you forever. Uh, but thanks for coming on the podcast. I hope the book does great. And, uh, yeah, you might ha hammering it all summer. I'm, yeah, I, I'm, I will be. I'm, I'm so glad I'm uh, on after Gavin Robinson and as war. I mean, what a you know, what a privilege to follow those two. Yep. Well, you know, um, that's what happens when you know minutes. That's it. Um, great stuff. Look, Adam, take care. Thanks Have a great on. summer. I hope. Well, well, just while I've got you as a cricket fan. Where are you thinking yes. on the Ashes are going to go? You know, what's your feeling? Do you like Carey as the keeper? Give me some Zwarisms. I really like Carey. It's very interesting. Did you, you know, in the test, the, the the Amazon documentary, how he never spoke. It was hard. Like he's he's obviously kind of a, a careful person. Yeah, I, I, I like him. I, I think he's I think he's great, and um, he seems to have something about him that that says leadership. And um, it, you know, I, I think I just can't see. I can't pick a winner at the moment between England, oh, wow. England, and Australia. Um, I think uh, can't wait to see Jimmy Anderson in Adelaide with the pink ball. Woohoo! Yeah, right. Can't pick a winner. You're a bit like me. I think it's going to be a lot closer than people are talking about. Yeah. And I do not yeah. do not like the idea of a fifth test under lights. I think why do we want Anderson with a pink ball twice, Adam? Twice. No, no, no. no. I'm not happy for once. I want to see it one night. I want to see it and then never see it again. I agree. All right, Adam. Well, uh, thanks for joining us on Cricket Unfiltered. Thanks, Manners. Uh, Adam Zwar, author of 12 Summers, writer, comedian, host of 10 Questions. All the best. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.